Why are people living with the crushing burdens of guilt and shame? Let me give you a couple answers to that question. I think people sometimes have long-term guilt and shame living in the past. You are ensconced with something you did yesterday, last week, last month, 10 years ago. And you're being haunted by that sinful behavior, that sinful act. And, and every once in a while, it, it pops its head and you remember how dumb you were. Secondly, I think some people just really don't know. Welcome to Shelter Cove Online. We are so glad that you're joining us today for this sermon. We hope and pray that this message encourages you, that you learn something, that you enjoy it. But more than that, we just pray that God would move in your life, that he would reveal some more of himself to you today. If you would like to respond to this message in any way, you can contact us at sheltercovelive.com. Have an amazing rest of your day. Uh, today we're dealing with a really tough topic, and I apologize right off the bat about how feisty I'm going to be. But this is kind of like your own Super Bowl. This is kind of the coach halftime talk. Because it's my contention that many of us live in guilt and shame, and we don't need to. Today, when we're done, I'm hoping that you will be set free from anything that you're carrying as a burden that God's word clearly says not to. Today, we're going to be going verse by verse uh, through one of the most important passages in all the New Testament. It's considered to be the pinnacle of theology in Romans, Romans 5. Erica, where's Erica? Wave to Erica back there. See her? She's, always, she's never up front. That is Victor, our worship leader's wife, uh, the better half. Anyway, uh, she has a t-shirt on today. You got to see it. It says, bad theology hurts people. And I believe that. I've spent my life trying to correct some of the nonsense that people believe or see out there through our media and other forms. But I do believe that most of us have experienced guilt and or shame in our life somewhere. The darkness of shame has hit us somewhere at some point in our life. I want you to understand a few things about guilt and shame right off the bat. Number one, guilt is a good thing in one sense that it tells us when we're doing stupid things. And it tries to tell us, don't do it again. It's like your still small voice, a conscience saying, hey, is that really a good idea? Shame, on the other hand, is different than guilt. If guilt is, I did something bad, then shame is, I am bad. But my Bible says something completely different. The bottom line is each and every one of us are God's creation made in his image, right? And if we believe that God is the great creator and that he created each and every one of you, not the person next to you, not the person who's been a Christian for 100 years, not, not just somebody right in front of you, but rather you yourself, then it's my contention that you have intrinsic value because you're God's. So often, Satan and this world tells you that you're worthless. 
And I'm here to say nonsense, or a better theological word, baloney. It's not true. It is absolutely not true. Why are people living with the crushing burdens of guilt and shame? Let me give you a couple answers to that question. I think people sometimes have long-term guilt and shame living in the past. You are ensconced with something you did yesterday, last week, last month, 10 years ago. And you're being haunted by that sinful behavior, that sinful act. And, and every once in a while, it, it pops its head and you remember how dumb you were. Secondly, I think some people just really don't know God's forgiveness. In fact, they're full and of guilt and shame from their past, but they really don't understand the cross. My friends, let me just teach you something. The cross takes away every sin, no matter whose it is, no matter when it was done, and no matter how bad it was, if you turn your life over to Christ and repent of it. You do not have to live in guilt and shame once you understand the forgiveness of the cross. I do think some people live in guilt and shame because they've ignored their past. In other words, they know they've sinned, but they've never really dealt with it. They've never really gone to God and said, hey, I blew it. It's too painful. It's too embarrassing. And I think some people, some people in this audience have never really accepted God's forgiveness. And some of you just want to continue sinning so you don't deal with it. It's hidden. Oh, you look good sitting here, raising your hands or whatever you're doing in worship. But deep down, you know good and well there's a besetting sin inside of you that you just haven't did any business with God with to get it done, to get it forgiven. But I really think the main reason why people are living with the crushing burdens of guilt and shame sometimes is that they don't really believe the Bible. Oh, I know we're a Bible-believing church. I know many of you have been here for 10 years or better, and yet you don't really believe it. You certainly don't believe Romans 5, which is what we're going to look at. We're going to go verse by verse over five verses. Because if you did, you would understand that there's no condemnation for those of you who are in Jesus. That means hell's off the table. That means you can be forgiven in a heartbeat. If you turn towards the Lord and draw near to him, do you understand that? I don't care who you are. I don't care where you've been. I don't care what you've done. The laundry list, you and I could compare laundry lists, and I'll bet you $100 I would beat you. Because before I was a Christian, <laughs> ugly. My friends, I am here today to teach you how to do without guilt and shame in your life whenever it appears in your world. And ladies and gentlemen, for some of you, you're gonna be walking out of here set free. I guarantee it. If you listen to the scripture. Fair? So if you have your Bible, turn over to uh, Romans 5, the pinnacle of the New Testament. It's uh, Romans 5, 1 through 5. If you have a phone, you're welcome to join us there. I'm gonna put it up on screen so everybody can see it. But it basically says this. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, 
we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For you uh, taking notes, here's the first three blanks, I'm going to go real quick. The first one is, in the first verse, you are justified. If you're a believer in Christ, if you have put your faith in Jesus for the remission of your sin, you are justified. What's justified mean? Well, theologically, it means put right. It means that you and God are on equal uh, uh, planes in the fact that you are in a right relationship with the Lord. It does not mean you're perfect. It doesn't mean you're not gonna screw up. What it does say is right off the get-go, uh, you are put right, whereas before you were wrong. So when you turn your life over to Christ, you're justified. Think of a word processing document. At the top, you'll see a left margin, a center margin, a right margin, and then there's this one box that has both margins straight. You are now, in God's eyes, saved when you're justified. Now, I believe that some people are focused way too much on what you've done instead of what Jesus did on the cross for you. And if you're a true Christian, you're justified, and if you are really fully trusting, have a trusting faith in Jesus, you are now, right now, in a right relationship with God. First point, you're justified. Second point, according to this verse, it says we have peace with God through Jesus. You are at peace. If you've put your faith and uh, trust in Jesus, it's my contention, you're at peace with God. If you are not a Christian, you are at war with God. God says this, yourself says that. And if you remember uh, uh, the Romans 6 and 7, you know that we fight against a sinful nature. What's that sinful nature always do? It always wants us to focus on ourselves. I... I get so irritated, oh my, with what I see in media, what I hear in the news, what I see the schools sometimes putting out, that somehow the greatest love is self-love, self-care, self-image, self-confidence, self-actualization, self, 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 and it's all nonsense. The Bible says to deny ourselves so that we can follow Jesus. And if we are so full of ourselves, I'm telling you now, you will never have peace in this world because the self doesn't satisfy. The Bible says to follow after the needs of others, not just yourself. And don't you think we're living in a self-centered world? Wouldn't you agree? It's everything about, you, know, you gotta look this way, you gotta be thin, you gotta be athletic, you gotta be smart, you gotta do this, you gotta do that. For crying out loud, don't believe Satan's attempts at distraction. And I know people have feelings about how they look and what they act and they, that there's this, this conflict. The conflict between your soul and the spirit is over because you've been washed by the blood of Jesus at the heart level. 
And I can't say it any more plain. I should just stop. That's what I should do. That, that, that's good enough. You are justified and you're at peace when you turn your life over to Christ. Start living like it. Put it away. So many Christians I know, they go to God and they go, oh, Lord, I, I got this burden. I, I really did something screwy, blah, blah, blah. It's been with me for a long time, but, and I keep on doing this stupid thing. And they put it at the foot of the cross. They walk away. And they, oh, wait a minute. That burden, I've I gotten used to that. And they live their life with this thing on their back. You know that that person that does that will never ever be evangelistic worth anything to somebody who's not a believer. Because you'll always be working on yourself. You'll always be focused on yourself. And that's not the focus that I see in the scripture. On a complete side note, a lot of times I think what stops peace in people's lives is unforgiveness. I think the concept of forgiving and the concepts of forgiveness is foreign to many people. And often, guilt and shame has something to do with unforgiveness from someone towards someone or unforgiveness towards the issue that you had done to somebody. And it haunts you. My Bible says that's nonsense too. I, I started reading a book um, and it just blew me away. It's called Forgive. I have a copy of, there it is right there, by Timothy Keller, one of the greater minds in our world. I don't agree with everything Mr. Keller says, but that he makes me think. Therefore, I love reading and listening to him. Uh, James heard me talk about this in one of our pre-sermon meetings. He said, hey, why don't we order that book? So he went and ordered like 30 copies. It's in our church merch store out there if you want a copy. Let me quote it for you. One, one simple quote. If you believe the gospel, that you are saved by sheer grace. In other words, you can't earn it, you can't buy it, you can't do anything. Your sheer grace and the free forgiveness of God, and you still hold a grudge. At the very least, Keller says, it shows that you are blocking the actual effect of the gospel in life. Or you're kidding yourself, and perhaps you don't believe the gospel at all. Either way. Spiritually speaking, to not forgive somebody is to sort of put yourself in a kind of jail. I'm here to tell you that you will not have peace if forgiveness isn't a part of your life, both personally and towards others. Pick up the book. It's worth the read. Third point, for those of you taking notes, you stand in grace. It says specifically that through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. What is grace? Grace is an, a free gift. It's an unmerited favor. It's that thing that says, listen, I've called you. You want to come? Yes, I do. I'm in. I believe in you. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to live for you. Then from that standpoint, you are now walking in grace. You're up to your hip in it. You can't get away from it if you're a believer. It's my contention that this particular thing of standing grace is what the Hebrews writer was talking about in Hebrews 10, 22. For those of you who have notes, you can look it up yourself. Hebrews 10, 22. Because it says this, and this is my message to all of you. Hebrews 10, 22. Let us draw near to God. That's what worship does. With a sincere heart, 
In other words, we're not just faking it. We're not just going through the motions, not just singing the song for the fun of it. But with a sincere heart and with a full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. Why do I not believe that being a Christian, uh, you should not walk in guilt? It's because the cross is more powerful than that. You're justified, you're at peace with God, you're standing in grace. And the fourth point on your notes is you have hope. You have hope. Now, again, it's just, it's just not a fun message. It's just stinking serious. In case you think you can slip through God's fingers, in other words, he can forget about you, or you think your sin has caused him to no longer want you around, you think your sin is so bad, That God no longer wants you, that you're worthless. Well, let me share another Roman pinnacle scripture. It's called Romans 8, 38. And it says this. It says, for I am sure, key word. You have your own Bible, you should underline that. Highlight it in your notes. I am sure, that's confidence. No matter what anybody says, I am sure. That neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else. You think he's trying to make a point? It doesn't matter. Anything else in all creation will be able to separate us. And you should get rid of that word us and just put me. Separate me. From the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Folks, I know sin is bad, and I'm, I'm not here to tell you that it's not. In fact, I believe you should fight sin with all your might and heart. One of the greatest things about being in heaven, besides Jesus' presence, is that I'm not going to have to fight sin anymore. And I'm looking forward to that piece of, of not having to battle my own sin nature that's talked about in Romans 6 and 7. I don't care what you've done. I don't care who you are. If you sincerely and passionately believe in God Almighty, through his son, you have hope. You have hope, hope of heaven. That's what that means, that hope of the glory of God in verse two. That usually is an euphemism for heaven itself. Now, some of you have the mindset that says that God should and will just get rid of you when you make error especially when you repeat that error. Let me tell you a story about my six-year-old daughter way back when, when she decided that she was going to get into the refrigerator on her own. Now in our house, six-year-olds were not allowed to open the refrigerator without mom or dad's help. This is my redhead little six-year-old kid. As she looks at me, And she gets a, a half a gallon of milk out. She'd put her little sippy cup thing over here and she started to pour it. And you know what happened? She dropped it. Bam. I looked up from my newspaper and I said, Sarah, you know where the mop is. Go get it. You're going to clean this thing up. But some of you think 
that me representing God and you make an error, a stupid, a defiant error. She looked right at me. She knew she was wrong, just like you and I do. And you think I should grab that little six-year-old, little redhead, go to her room, go get her little Polly Pocket suitcase, fill it with some of her stuff, take her and the suitcase and sit her outside the door and say, sorry, I'm done with you. Bam! That's your mindset. And it's wrong. The love of the father would never do that. Oh yeah, there might be a spanking involved. She was one of these kids, you know, side note. Spanking did nothing. She, it just made her happier. I'm going, what in the world? What is wrong with you, kid? Come out. Um, <laughs> she's 16. I'll never forget it. As long as I live. 16 years old. And she got her license. And in the state of Washington, she, she was told repeatedly, hey, you can't, you can't drive your, your friends for six months. That's the law. No friends. Going to a Christian high school, which I paid a lot of money for, she decides that her friends and her need lunch at the Jackenbox eight, ten blocks away. She tells me, Dad, a week later, she said, Dad, the law says I can't put them in the car. And I didn't. But Sarah, all three of you went. I know. I, I put them in the trunk. Dad, there's this little, uh, between the seats, it comes down. I could talk to him in the trunk. We were fine. <laughs> and you know what? You and I are just like that. We rationalize all the time, don't we? We say, hey, God, no, it really wasn't that bad. I mean, after all, I had good intentions. And we sidestep God's rules thinking he doesn't see it. You and I are something. But we know that nothing's going to separate. She turned 37 this weekend. And she's still dad's little girl. And trust me, her and I have had some knockdown, drag out type of arguments. Are you crazy, Sarah? You know, but truly, a, a Christian doesn't discount sin and treat it lightly. Jude 3 and 4 says, hey, listen, those of you who use grace as a license to sin, hey, I'm going to sin because God will forgive me anyway. You guys aren't even saved. No Christian thinks like that. In 1 Corinthians 11, it says that some of you are sinning with communion. In other words, you, you have a whole bunch of sin in your life and you still take the communion left, right? You've not un, it's, it's unconfessed sin that causes you trouble. And it says in 1 Corinthians 11, 30, when you're taking notes, you can look it up yourself. It says, that's why some of you are weak. That's why some of you are sick. That's why some of you have even died. Because you have taught, <laughs> taught, wrong word. You have treated sin like it's no big deal. I'm here to say it is a big deal, but I'm also here to say once you, once you believe in God, once you turn your life over to Christ, once you start putting your sin at the foot of the cross, it says in Philippians 3, I am forgetting what is behind me and I'm pressing on toward the goal, the heavenward goal of what Christ Jesus is calling me to be. 
And some of you, I wonder if you really believe it. Now, how does guilt and shame apply through this? Well, guilt needs justification and forgiveness, no doubt. Romans 10, 11 says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. Romans 8, 1, there's no condemnation in those of us who are in Christ Jesus. When are you going to start believing it? No condemnation. That means hell's off the table. That means condemnation is off the table. Sometimes I wonder if we even believe that when we sin and we ask for forgiveness and we say, Lord, I did it again. Some of us, I think, don't believe that he takes that sin and remembers it no more, sending it east to west, infinity. And it specifically says that we are no longer attached to that sin because he doesn't bring it up either. Others may remember. You might even recall at times, but the one who remembrances counts for eternity. Well, your sin was nailed to the cross and no longer has power over you. I was meeting with a guy yesterday who wanted me to uh, coach him, mentor him a little bit in evangelism. For an hour and a half, we sat at the restaurant and I outlined some things I, I thought was really helpful in how to share his faith. Because he wants to make his work his mission field now. Now he's 50 some odd years old. He confessed that I've just wasted lots of time. But no more. I'm gonna be different. And when I got to the part where you got to turn over your life to Christ, where you've got to, in some form or fashion, trust only in Jesus, and then you got to tell somebody, anybody that I point out. It blew him away. Folks, I told him, and I'll tell you, for those of us who are in Christ, the truth is about your even most shameful sin. And a year ago, he told me some stuff that was unbelievably bad. He admits it. But he's repented. He's told the people he's hurt. And he's trying hard to do what's right. But I told him this. I said, it is no longer, that sin is no longer a part of you. You've put it behind you. So don't live like that. Because when you do, folks, when you start living like that, you're saying God isn't powerful enough to deal with your sin because, oh, it's unfaithful or, or it's lust or there's some sort of grudge I've been keeping forever or I failed as a parent. I get that one all the time. Parents often feel guilty about how their kids turn out. And even though there might be something you could have done differently, it's that we don't live in the past. I can't help it that my daughter put the kids in the stupid trunk. When, when they are old, they get to decide who they are. And when they choose the world, all you can do is be a cheerleader and pray for them. Tell them what's right. I don't believe in just pussyfooting around. But at the same time, don't be a nag, right? A lot of guilt around parenting. Nobody sent us a school to how to be a parent. We just did it the way our parents did, and most of the time that wasn't very good. <laughs> and some of you feel guilt because you failed your own parents. 
You didn't live up to something. I would remind you of Romans 8, 38 and 39. I'd remind you of that. There's nothing you've done that would separate you from the love of God. So if you're still walking, even after all this, and you call yourself a born-again Christian, and you're still living in guilt and shame, I say repent right now. I say stop it. Or as the eagles once wrote, get over it. For you and I have the Holy Spirit. Final point, we've got to go. It's on your notes. The Holy Spirit lives within you. The text is very clear. Verse 5, you've been given the Holy Spirit. And if you're a Christian, you can grieve the Holy Spirit, no doubt. You can quench the Holy Spirit, you can push him away. But the one thing you can't do is drive him away from your life. His role is to illuminate. He illuminates Jesus to us. He illuminates the one we're trying to reach. He illuminates the truth in the Bible. He illuminates where you fall short because he convicts us when we're on the wrong path. You want to get rid of shame and continual guilt? Well, I think there's two big ways. Besides, the, the first one, obviously, is know who you are in Jesus. I know you're not perfect. He knows what you've done. You can't hide it. But he still loves you anyway. Isn't that crazy? And I still love my daughter. She's given me lots of gray hairs. Really, seriously. But I love her deeply. And so does the Father up above love you, no matter where you've been. Second way that I believe shame disappears First one is knowing who you are in Christ. Second one is in community. It's my contention there's something powerful about sharing. James 5, 16. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Because I believe sometimes guilt hurts so much, shame has in, introduced into the core of who we are that we need healing from the Spirit to move forward. Not some lame Bible study, by the way. Something where you're filling in the blanks or something. Canned answers. But a relationship where you can go and you can be yourself and you can share without condemnation because God doesn't condemn you, where you're struggling. We have cove groups here. You can go out to the new person kiosk. The cove groups are just home groups where we you have Bible study, but you share your prayer requests. And then hopefully you'll find somebody in that group, that 10, 12, 15 people, and, and somehow you relate to them and you connect. And then you share who you are, where you struggle, where you succeed. Now, Jeremy Oldenberger, the guy in the referee shirt, um, <laughs> he and I have been together almost five years, and uh, I can tell you this, there's nothing I wouldn't tell him. He's walked in my office uh, half a dozen times, say, and said, I got something to tell you. And we just teach each other. And he confesses to me and I confess to him and it's good. You need someone like that. And don't you think for a minute that us pastors have it any more together than you are. 
Because half the time we fight all sorts of different things as well. We just know the Bible. And it helps. Because bad theology hurts people. Shame, thirdly, disappears with a correct understanding of God's love. I would like you to quit feeling bad for your stupidity. God doesn't hold you guilty, and neither do I. At the same time, if you've got something to confess, we're going to stop right here. Give you 30 seconds with just you and God. If you've got something to repent from, you've got something that you need in the quietness of your heart to say, Lord, I need you to forgive me for this because this is this, this is that, and I'm sorry, help me to do different. When that happens, my friends, I'm telling you, you can walk out of this auditorium with your head lifted high, a smile on your face, and you sin no more. And I'm talking about the most stupidest things in the world, like living with your girlfriend, boyfriend, looking at pornography, gossiping every five seconds, making your spouse's world a living hell. Those are repentive things that God's grace can touch. Close our eyes and bow our head. I'm done. <laughs> I just want you to think of your worst sin or if there's been any kind of thing you're holding on to that you have not done business with God about. And I'm going to give you 30 seconds of quietness here. to accept God's forgiveness and the blood of Jesus on that cross for you. And then let's go win the world. 30 seconds. Father, I pause and pray for every person in this room, and I just want to say we're all kind of sorry that sometimes we don't believe you. We know that cross was meant for us. We know it's powerful beyond our imagination to take away every sin. Help us in our unbelief. And where repentance needs to happen, Lord, from this point forward, may you show us a better way. Guide us, lead us, Help us. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thanks for putting up with me. There's tacos, I think, and some sort of yogurt out there, which I can't stand. So have, have a great day. Uh, go Eagles. Take care.